Wearing a men's warehouse outfit makes you confident, like you could do anything. So you dance like no one is watching, even though everyone is watching. Because of the men's warehouse outfit, you interview like the job is already yours because it is. Because of the men's warehouse outfit, you golf as if the rules don't apply to you because you're too well-dressed for rules. Because of the men's warehouse outfit. At Men's Warehouse, get measured, get fitted, get hot, get confident in everything from tailored suits to underwear and all the stuff in between. Love the way you look at Men's Warehouse. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like when your fantasy league meets up at your house. Everything's great until the hot plate gets too hot for the tablecloth. Now your kitchen's up in smoke. And if you don't have the right home insurance coverage, the cost to fix this is anything but a fantasy. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Not available in every state. Based on coverage selected. Subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. Hello and welcome to The Rest is Football with Michael Richards, Alan Shearer, and me, Gary Lineker. It's our question and answer episode. Um, but before we get into those questions, and once again, thank you so much uh, for sending them in. Lots of great questions again uh, this week. But um, news has just broken because we're recording this on Monday afternoon. Uh, news has just broken that um, Everton's point deduction of 10 points has now been reduced to six. So they've got four points back, which I think um, takes them up a couple of places in the league and obviously a few points clear of the relegation zone. Don't get too carried away though, Everton fans, because of course there is the threat of a further point deduction looming possibly in the near future, along with Nottingham Forest, one of their fellow challengers, people fighting against relegation. So it's sort of, Alan, isn't it? A little bit how we predicted and many people thought would happen. Funny that, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we sort of we we like so many others said that we felt that they would they would get three or four points back. And we all thought it was a really harsh deduction, the ten points anyway, didn't we, from from what we understood the charges to be. So in a way it's no surprise, but and there's a huge but because of obviously the other charge that has um has been put to them and obviously Nottingham Forest also. So we'll have to wait what, I guess, another month before we uh, we hear or month ish before we hear of that. But um yeah, at the minute it's really good news for Everton and for all their fans. I just think though, if you're a player Everton have been on the back of some rubbish results. It seems like there was lacking a little bit of confidence, but this just gives you the boost that you need, doesn't it? You're looking down rather than up in the table. And now I just think the confidence that could bring. I know you mentioned about what could come down the line, Alan, and they'll have to deal with that, of course. But for now, it will just give them the little bit of spirit that they've been, I won't say lacking, but just... When you're on a little bit of a rut, it's really hard to get out of that. So, yeah, great news for them. I think in many ways, as they're going through a bad run, obviously, at the moment. Was it nine games now, I think, um, without a win? Initially, getting that point deduction seemed to galvanise them, didn't it, into, into action. And, and as we all know with those things, they're generally short-lived. Um, in terms of a motivation. I mean, players should be motivated anyway, obviously. But this might also have a galvanising effect in, in, in a slightly different way. Yeah, I mean, they'll feel vindicated and having read uh, Everton's statement. It was also about them proving the point. I think there was a charge of 
sort of not cooperating, which that has mm. also been dropped as well. So they'll they'll feel vindicated in in appealing and doing that. And I mean that, yeah. I mean at the minute that is it. It's an, a huge boost and a huge lift for Evan, or it or it should be, and a bit of a kick for the other teams in and around them. Yeah, there is that side of it, yeah. But if you just do it, because when you're sort of, where you're going for the league, I don't know if you did this when you guys were playing, you would sort of gauge it and see how many points you would need per game to ever get in the Champions League, to win the league, roughly the idea of points per, per game. But if you look at it, I think Everton now, with them points back, they're on 25, I believe. And the last couple of seasons, we always say, get 40 points, you stay up. But the last couple of seasons, you only really need 35, 36, I believe, to stay up. And if you think you've got 12 games left and you only need roughly 10 points-ish, that's a target the whole team can get behind. Unless, of course, they get dot more points. Like, of course, but you can't control <laughs> no, no, that at can't. this moment in time, you no. know? All right, let's uh, move on to our, our questions now. And obviously there's more news to come on that and, um, and we'll, be, we'll be monitoring it closely. Uh, I want to start with this question, Alan, on a, on a serious note, because I know it was important to you. Trevor Burchill asked the question, Hi guys, question for Alan. I've just seen the sad news about Chris Nickel. Uh, what did he mean to you and how did he help uh, you with your career? And he's obviously talking about that, sadly, Chris Nickel died um, when it was announced yesterday. And um, he was... Your first manager, am I right in saying, Alan? Yes, he was. Yeah, he uh, he was the manager that gave me the opportunity. He believed in me. I mean, I was scoring goals on the uh, in the youth team, and then I got the nod to, off him to say, "You're in. You're playing." And so I owe him a huge amount. He was he was a great man. He he gave so many debuts. I mean, he gave me mine, Matt Letizier, Francis Benali. Uh, Neil Madison, if you remember, uh, mm -hmm. if you remember, yes. all those, all those guys. So we were all apprentices being brought up at the Dell, as it was then. Yeah, and he he believed in us all, gave us our debuts, and we all went on to have decent careers. So owed him a lot. He was a really tough guy. Really, I was, I was going to ask you that. You've told us some great stories about yeah. him on on the podcast, uh, mm -hmm. of course. Um, he, he came across as a, a a real, as you say, tough, but like a hard man. Hard yeah, he was. He was, master. but he, he, I think th that's who he was. That's what his character was. I mean, he was a no-nonsense centre-half, and he was like that as a manager. I, I, <laughs> I mean, he, 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 when he, he gave me my debut, and after I signed a new contract the week after that, and then about 18 months, two years later, I thought I was doing really well, and I didn't I didn't have an agent at, the, uh, at that particular time, and I thought I'm going to go in and ask for a wage increase. And I was only this scrawny little 18 or 19-year-old kid. So I, I, and I was really nervous, thinking, is this the right thing to do? <laughs> Going into this big the manager's office, it was a big thing anyway. So I knocked on the door and sort of walked in, and he sat at his desk. And I think I was, I was on about 250 quid a week. So this would have been in 1990, something like that. And he says, yes, how can I help you? And I said, um, well, things are going pretty well for me at the moment and the team. <laughs> And I just think, compared to all the other players, because, you know, you, you go around all the other players, what you want, how much, and I was like, I was the one the lowest in the dressing room. And I've, I think it's only fair that I get a wage increase. <laughs> and he thumped his hands on the desk and he went, you're not fucking getting a wage increase. And I'm like, 
okay, okay, that's fine. Thanks, <laughs> thanks very much. And I went scuttling out the office and I thought, I thought I'm never going to do that again. <laughs> Get myself an agent quick. Oh, God. But he was that, he was that type of character, you know, and yeah. some of the stories that we've told. And of course, you all know that when I scored my... Uh, hat trick on my debut. He got me in the next morning to clean all the kit, and but that was that was brilliant. That's exactly what I needed, and all the youngsters needed, and just to keep our feet on the ground. So such a sad loss, and send all my best wishes to his uh, to his family. A very very difficult time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, rest in peace, Chris Nickel. I'd, I think I'd, I'd like to mention also Stan Bowles, who also yes. um, passed away this this weekend. One of the great characters, player I watched a lot when I was growing up and young, and he was always such an entertaining, like a maverick, really, on and off the pitch. Um, incredibly skillful footballer, quite famous, I think, for his, his his betting antics and stuff like that. But he was a marvelous football to watch. Played a few games, of course. For England as well and there was that thing wasn't there I think there was some tabloid story on him or something something about with his wife had gone off or something and then the, I think he was playing it might have been Old Trafford might not have been but I think the crowd were all giving him a bit of stick and saying you know Stan Bowles where's your wife where's your wife and all this and he did that you know like that emoji the going oh I don't know <laughs> and he did it to the old fans and stuff so um, a, a real personality Stan Bowles and obviously um he played for Man City at one point as well, Michael, but he was predominantly known as a, most of his career was at Queen's Park Rangers. Alan, would you have seen him? Didn't see him a lot, yeah. no. I mean, I've seen obviously seen the videos and knew of him and knew who and uh, who and what he was and he was uh, the, the era that he, uh, that he played in, but was well aware of what a good player he was, yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, well, rest in peace, Stan yeah. and Chris, um, both of you. Let's move on. Dave T asked the question, as a top-level footballer, how much difference... Does the manager make? Is it not a case of where top-level players know what they are doing and perform regardless of who is on the touchline? Now, this is a, this is a question that's it's so difficult to answer, isn't it? How important is the manager? Obviously, is massively important, but it's hard to say exactly how important. I mean, it depends, doesn't it? Because if you look at someone like Klopp, and the atmosphere he's created at Liverpool, bringing through the youngsters, created a massive group. Then you go to Pep, who's invented new positions. And okay, people would argue he's always had the best, but he's getting the best out of them players and taking them to the next level. Look at, you know, we talked about Stones the other day with, with that position. Cancelo coming from left back, right back into midfield, winning a league without a, a recognised striker. I think the manager is really, really important tactically. But really, as as a person, personally, I, I couldn't care less what the manager was like. <laughs> I could, I, you couldn't know, could you? As long as you're playing well. As long as he's picking you. Exactly. <laughs> as long as he's picking you and you're playing well. Personally, it doesn't really matter, in my opinion. I, I think it's hard because I don't think I played for what I would describe as a, as a bad manager in my career. So therefore, it's hard to describe the difference and hard to know the difference between you know how much difference they actually make in terms of your performance or the team's performance. I mean, you, you've said a couple of the managers you weren't overly impressed with, though, Mike. Was it Remy Gard? <laughs> was it at, at, at Villa? That... You know what? People always ask me about this. Like, Remy Gard... And I've, I've been maybe a little bit disrespectful before. and uh, Well, you said he was shit. <laughs> <laughs> Apart from that, you said he was all right. He's French, though. He says, no. merde. 
<laughs> it meant well, and he's obviously a good coach. You don't you don't get these jobs if you're not a good coach. But what we needed at the time at Aston Villa, he wasn't the right fit, and he just had I don't want to say arrogance because it might not be fair, but you know when a manager's come from somewhere and has done something, and like when Capello came to England and was almost like, okay, sit up straight now. He's a great manager. He's going to do something great with us. When Remy Gard come into the changing room and when he used to do his team talks, like people used to be nudging me, like wanting to laugh. <laughs> you know, it didn't have the authority that the group needed. So maybe it was just a bad timing for him. But yeah, for, for Aston Villa, he, he wasn't the greatest. Do you, not, do you not think because of the, I mean, the times have obviously changed massively, even from you when you were playing, maybe Micah. Do you not think that a manager nowadays, so much more of it is about psychology and about understanding the player, who he is, what he is or she is. And basically, I don't know. I mean, it must be such a difficult job doing that, but looking after the players, telling them the players how great they are, handle all their problems, whereas most of all, 20, 30, 40 years ago, it was probably about getting a player out on the pitch and not really bothered about what goes on in the background. It's very true. It's 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 Obviously, it's a massively important role. You can That's why the, the big managers are, are, are so sought after. But um, actually defining the levels in terms of percentage of how important it is to overall having good players and obviously the managers involved in bringing the right players in and all that. So it's, But I think it's safe to say they are hugely important characters at any football club. Uh, let's move on. Maurice Moore. Hi, guys. I absolutely love the insight we get on a footballer's career on a weekly basis my question is the following what's it like playing with someone who doesn't speak the same language as you or in gary and micah's case how did you get on when you were in japan and italy learning italian was so hard when i go i go into training and they've got the basics so like you might say one two or you might say wamo i think they say which means man on or vaidila means like, go over there. The, like the, the, the basics of Italian. Go over there on the bench. <laughs> 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 but then we was doing like a, um, a possession-based. So you guys would have done this a lot. So you might have one guy at the end of the pitch, another guy at the other end. You've got people in the middle of the possession, but then there's all different variations where you might be a one touch back or you might have to take two touches or you might have to switch with a person in the middle who's going to go to the end. All different sort of things. And the manager Montella was explaining something. I didn't have an absolute clue what was going on. The ball come to me and I just played it back to... And everyone, oh, no, 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 <laughs> fucking hell. Fagolo. Fagolo. Tetricazzo. And you didn't learn the swear word. And I was just like, oh my God. And it was so embarrassing. I was like, someone help me out a little bit. And you know what the annoying thing was? Salah did the exact same thing on one of the things and nobody said nothing <laughs> isn't it amazing how all the, when the foreign guys come in or you guys go into a, a team abroad where the the first language they know is just swear swear, just swear words. words isn't it yeah oh yeah i i remember sitting on a team bus in uh, barcelona it was the first time i've been with a 
whole squad. And the, they had a, the reserve goalkeeper was, was quite a character and I ended up sitting next to him. And he, he got a piece of paper out and he, he, he drew a woman's body and a man's body and he, he told me all the names for the, the bits of the body that obviously you'd be perhaps interested in. Uh, that's my first ever Spanish lesson. Then I went to school actually three times a week for two years in, in, in Barcelona. Um, and when I went to Japan, that was obviously tougher, but I did have a, like an eight-month period where before I went, so I had lots of Japanese lessons as well. But, I mean, Japanese was hard. Um, while we're on the subject of Japan, Okazaki's um, just announced his retirement I saw this morning one of your favourites one of my absolute favourites and um, producer Harry here next to me his absolute favourite player because Harry was born in Japan of course he was born in, in Nagoya um, we still call him Harry Chan to this day and actually <laughs> he's, he's, he's dug out his shirt from the 2016 season that he wore every match that Leicester played and on the back of it is Okazaki and he's, he's, he's wearing it. Love it, Haz. Come on, Haz. Come on, get yourself in here, Haz. I want to see it. Come on. Here he comes. Right. There, there we go. go. Straight, straight up. There we go. Okazaki. Yeah. We love Okazaki. Uh, absolute integral part of, of Leicester's title winning season. Played like the first 60 minutes of every game, ran himself ragged. And um, so good luck in your uh, future, Okazaki. Jay, if you are to live your remaining days on an island... Which island do you pick and why? Um, how about the one we're on? <laughs> um, good point. Very good. I mean, really? Uh, so the British islands that, that, that do. But uh, there are lots of lovely islands in the world, I'm sure. Um, the Maldives. or Barbados. Get, yeah, Barbados. Would be yeah, but come on, let's... Let, let's there let's wouldn't be enough bit. to do in the Maldives, would there, for the yes, rest of your time, no, would there? Wouldn't, exactly. No. Yeah. It, yeah. Barbados is a bit of everything in Barbados, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. And cricket as well, but cricket, we love cricket. So. We'll agree on Barbados. Yes. Yeah. Go on then. Yeah, that's it. One more before the break, um, and it's for Alan. Would you rather score a goal in the World Cup final and win or manage Newcastle to winning the treble? Love the podcast. Keep it up. Thank you, Isaac. Ooh. Oh, come on. There's only one answer to that one, isn't there? Yeah. Newcastle, treble. Really? Yes. What over scoring a winning a, a goal Gary, in the I'm World Cup final? And I'm it? not fucking selfish like you. It's all about you. <laughs> I want to give pleasure to my people here in Newcastle. We'll have the treble. Thanks very what much. What about giving pleasure to all the people of Newcastle and the people of the country, which nah, would, would come we, with winning a World Cup? Yeah, but you you were just thinking about scoring the winner yourself. You didn't give a shit about winning the World Cup. That's what I mean. I was on about the treble for Newcastle. Hang on a do I didn't give a shit about winning the World Cup. It's the no, dream, you know it's I mean. dream you of know every footballer. <laughs> treble for Newcastle. Wow, that's quite the answer. You go for Newcastle, really? Come on. Have you seen the last time we won a fucking trophy? How? <laughs> Stop crawling to the Newcastle fans. You've already got your fucking statue. <laughs> uh, very good. Um, on that note, uh, <laughs> we'll take a little breather. I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kay, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, 
Was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. It was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? (laughs) Well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii. Okay. And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics US wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Rest is Football um, question and answer episode with Micah Richards, Alan Shearer and myself, Gary Lineker. Um, Let's move straight on. So many great questions this week. Maurice Adamson. Gentlemen, I referee grassroots football every week and love it. I just wondered who, in your opinion, were your top three referees, past or present? Keep up the good work, lads. it's, It's good to give a positive mention to... To, to referees and, and, and I think especially grassroots football referees because, you know, we all know that they can get a bit of stick from players and fans and parents and stuff on the sidelines. You, you do a great job. You're very important to the game of football. So well done, Morris. Let me go back in the day a little bit here. Um, I think um, best referee around was, I think, from your neck of the woods. You remember George Courtney? Yes, Alan? I do remember he was, George he was Courtney. A good he managed referee. to he used... be one game when yeah. I was a kid. He used to give it a little bit of chip out. Yeah, he um, did. Then you've got Colina, Pierre-Louis Colina, Colina yes. uh, the, the international referee with, with the bold head. Al- who, Alan's who, twin. Who, who I've gone <laughs> off a little bit. Alan's twin. <laughs> Very good. I've gone off a little bit because he's one of those responsible for these wacky law changes they've Correct. made in the game uh, in recent times. I had some great ones back in the day. I remember someone like... Um, Pat Partridge. Pat I tell you, was, yeah. you remember Roger Kirkpatrick? Can you remember him? Oh, I can't remember. He that was night. like a let's say he was like slightly rotund, a little bit on the beefy side, but he was unbelievably demonstrative. And um, have you ever seen the the, the film Cares? With this scene where, like, the head teacher plays Bobby Charlton in a game of football, and he's also kind of, the, he's a little bit like that character for those that have ever have, have seen that film uh, way back when. In fact, look at Roger Kirkpatrick. I'm sure there'll be some amazing videos of his refereeing out there if you, if you're interested. Who who do you think's the best referee now? Now, Old Michael Oliver. Michael Oliver in in the UK probably. The guy who refereed the, um, I can't remember his exact name, the Polish former footballer that refereed the World Cup final has got a really good reputation. Although he did mess up, didn't he, with that PSG Newcastle game? I think he was the ref for that one, wasn't he, Alan? That was one of the worst decisions you're ever going to see, by the way, wasn't it? So I'm not giving him a mention. No, okay. (laughs) 
Another another terrible referee was Uriah Rennie. Oh, oh who gave you the red card? Leave him alone! <laughs> Leave him alone! <laughs> He's just trying to do his job. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Uriah Reddy. Yeah, another oh. one way back from my days. Can you can you remember? You won't remember Micah, but Alan might possibly Clive Thomas. Yes, Clive Thomas. Clive Thomas, Welsh referee, who refereed for years, and he was he was also quite demonstrative. And he was famous. Can you remember? The, I think it was I think it was the seventy eight World Cup in Argentina when Brazil Brazil against Sweden, I think. And it was 1-1. It was a corner and it was like the 90th minute. And the clock was ticking and they were waiting to take the corner. And they took the corner on 90 minutes and I think five or six seconds. As he hit the corner, it was on the way into the box. He blew the final whistle and Zico headed it in. And, and they've all gone to celebrate. And he's gone, no, pointed to the tunnel and everyone walks <laughs> off. And he got absolutely lambasted for that. I uh, bet, yeah. So. Roger anyway. Milford was another Roger yeah. Milford. Yeah, remember? Roger yeah. Milford was yeah, uh, quite a colourful day, character. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Martin Atkinson, he was a, a class yeah. act. Yeah. He was just measured, mm. nice, wasn't all about him, tried to let the game flow. I've got to give a shout out to Martin Atkinson. It's a tough job. You, you, it's a thankless task, isn't it? I must admit, we're guilty as everyone else of giving him a hard time, but it's it's a tough old job, really. Yeah, you know, but I mean, I don't want to sound like an old fart, but before you tell me I do, but you could have a bit of crack with them years ago, couldn't you? I mean, if you said something, they would tell you, oh, fuck off. They would tell you where to go, wouldn't they? Do you not think they'll be the odd one that does that now? They can't. They're all mic'd up. And can you imagine? Yeah, they're all. If you if a Good referee point. tells someone where to go, it'll be like everywhere. I mean, you can't even look at them now. And it's a very good point. We've got one from well further afield from the Czech Republic, Andre Sturmer. Um, hello, I'm from the Czech Republic, and this is my favourite podcast. So keep up the great work. Well, thank you very much. Um, the best one was with Thierry Henry. Uh, but I'm an Arsenal fan, so I'm a bit biased. I uh, would be really interested in how you three rated Cesc Fabregas, uh, mainly during his peak years at Arsenal. For me, he has to be up there with the all-time best that the Premier League has seen. What do you think? Well, he was a wonderful footballer, Cesc, and, and, a, and a great guy as well, yeah. I must say. Lovely man, great footballer, elegant, classy, brilliant on the ball, top all-round player, wasn't he? What a career, won practically everything. I think the only thing that he didn't win was the Champions League, which was amazing because he was obviously he had spells at Barcelona, and the only time really when they in that period when they didn't actually actually win it. But but I, he was such a brilliant passer of the football, wasn't he as well? Such great awareness and vision, get his goals as well, Micah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he was, when we talk about midfielders, you've got to put him right up there. He sort of gets skipped by from, from time to time. But Fabregas was the original in terms of getting on the ball, going into a deep position, never give the ball away. Then he played a little bit more advanced. Sometimes his time at Barcelona, he was playing a little bit more advanced, which probably couldn't get the the best out of him. But when you've got Xavi and Iniesta, it's always going to be tough, isn't it? But in the Premier League, he certainly goes down in we top played 10. at that time as well where they didn't really have a centre-forward, eh, Spain? Yeah, sometimes he would have kind of 
played that kind of number 10 role. Yeah, they had, float and roll up there, yeah. They had yeah, David Villa, but they used to, used to play him a little bit wide sometimes. But, I mean, David Villa, he was, he was fantastic, wasn't yeah. he? Another question from Savas Losifides. Hi, guys. If you could add three players who played for Liverpool at the past to the current squad, who would those be? Oh, blimey. Three ex-Liverpool players that would improve this particular squad. Gerard. Number one. Yeah, Gerard was... Uh, that's not, Kenny Dalglish. 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 In there. And mate, I don't know. Um, Hanson. Hanson and Van Dijk at the back. Oof, blimey. That that would be tasty. I mean, they've had so many great players over the years, haven't they? Um, Ian Rush would have to be there. Suarez. Suarez. Take your pick. Take your pick. There are plenty of them. uh, That is for sure. Two English clubs were involved in the two most dramatic Champions League finals ever, Keith asks. But which was best, Manchester United 99 or Liverpool 2005? I suppose he's talking about which is the best game rather than the best best team, because that would obviously have to be United 99. I think that comeback against, that was extraordinary against Milan, wasn't it? Um, but having said that, I was at that game. I was at that game in, in 99. I sat behind George Best. Really? And George Best left the ground with about 15 minutes to go. No. Yeah, he really? did. He did, wow. bless him. And he, he missed he missed the magical moment. I lost my wallet when, um, when Manchester United scored their second. You've got a wallet? Wow. I, I did have then. It's, I've yeah. still got the same one. It's got the cobwebs in. No, actually, Any I lost it. Did you buying a pint then? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it was so exciting at the end of the game I was jumped up and I think I think it fell out my pocket either that or it got lifted at that point but, um, yeah, so. question from George you all have connections to Premier League and Championship teams but do any of you have a soft spot for anyone in League 1 or League 2 love the pod keep it up Thank you, George. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say League One or League Two. We like all football, don't we? But I've got to give a shout out to Oldham Athletic. I was there from 11 to 14. And then I went um, to Man City at mm. 14. Um, I didn't know that, Micah, that you were yeah. at Oldham. Did you not know that? Isn't no. that the highest ground in the, in the league in terms of altitude or something? I think West Brom's the other one that competes with it, I think. It might be because when you when you go past the motorway on the M62, it says this is the highest part of the motorway, so it might be. Yeah. Boundary Park. Boundary Park, yeah. of course. Yeah. So were you you, were, you weren't there when they were, the AstroTurf was there, were you? What year oh. was that? See, I, I, I we was. used to train on, on the AstroTurf at the, well, it wasn't at the, uh, at the, at the ground, it was at a training park. But it was great memories at Oldham. I used to love it. The staff were great. Uh, we had some really good players. But Man United and Man City used to nick all their, their best players, you know, when I got to a certain age. So anyway, I get to uh, go to Man City at 14. Fast forward to about 2005, 2006, 2007. When I'd 17, 18, 19. And we all get... Fan mail, that's a, a, a thing that we all get. It comes to the train ground and all that sort of thing. And it had on there Man City fan slash Oldham fan. So he must be from, it must like both clubs. That must be his lower league team and Man City must be his, uh, his bigger team. So I get this letter, the fan mail. I'm opening it up and it starts wonderfully. Hi, Mike. Uh, so good to see you doing so well. Coming through the ranks at Oldham. 
and now you're at City. But you do know that Oldham have a 20% sell-on clause in the contract. <laughs> so I'm reading down, thinking down, thinking, oh, it'll be great, whatever. At the end of the letter, it puts, P.S., I think it's best for all parties for you to leave now so we can get some money in the kitty for Oldham. You've done what you needed to do and I think it's time you should leave. <laughs> so I'm like, have I just read this right? He wants me to leave because Chelsea apparently at the time was in for me for 20 million and Man United for 20 million and for Oldham, it would have been 4 million quid. So... He made out like he, he wanted me to prosper in life and all he was thinking about was his four million quid sell-on clause. P.S. from the Oldham chairman. <laughs> <laughs> Quite probably. Have you got a lower league team you follow, Alan? I've, I've got one Leicester. They're in the championship. <laughs> Uh, I like, uh, I, was, I was a club here, yeah, Gateshead. I used to obviously train there as a kid when I was 12, 13, 14, the Gateshead International Stadium. So, um, and I often drive past it. Uh, been there a couple of times in the last few years. Went for a game, they had an FA Cup game a couple of years back as well. So, yeah, Gateshead. Good stuff. Uh, one final question. Here you go. One, it's one for you, Alan. I quite like this one. And I, I want to know what the answer is. So, hi, lads. Loving the podcast. Thank you. Uh, this is a question for Alan. Hypothetically, Erling Haaland has just overtaken your Premier League record by one goal come the end of his career. You are offered the chance to play one final game in your prime to try and retake top spot for eternity. But it is for Sunderland. <laughs> Would you say yes? <laughs> Great on, question. Would I... I was, I'm not going to swear. Would I? Yeah, would I? Fuck. <laughs> Play for Sunderland? Are you mad? No, no what chance. A way. Forget it. Uh, brilliant. Great brilliant. questions. That's it. Thank you very much once again for your many questions that you send in. Um, some crackers again this week. So thank you so much for that. We'll be back later in the week. For now, goodbye from me. Goodbye from me. Goodbye from me. Thanks. <laughs>